Warning, the following program is solely intended for a mature audience. Any of the idiotic opinions and views expressed on this show are solely opinions of Dark Cringe Radio and not of its advertisers, which is completely pointless because this poorly produced, dumbass podcast has no advertisers. Furthermore, any rebroadcast or redistribution of Dark Friend Radio podcasts without per- the permission is strictly prohibited. If you do, we will find you. And then we will send three black-eyed children to your home or office to collect your soul. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Dark Fringe Radio, episode number seven. And tonight we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence. Thanks again for joining in. We also have a guest that uh, I interviewed last week. A guy by the name of Dominic Parker. And he's the inventor-creator of an app called MI Psychic. And we'll get into all that here in a moment. Then afterwards, me and my co-host, Jay Colosi, will break down our take on artificial intelligence. How it's taken over the world and why should we care? Why should we care? So again, if you could, on our social media, darkfringeradio.wordpress.com, that's the website. And on Twitter, darkfringeradio, and uh, the same handle on SoundCloud. So please, uh, you know, go on both of those and, you know, give a thumb, a liking, and a follow, and a, please a five-star review if you can. Uh, if that is a uh, you know necessary for those uh, you know outlets. So, uh, nonetheless, um, again, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence here with my co-host Jay Galosi. But first, we'll be getting into a quick uh, interview with Dominic Parker, uh, the inventor of the MI Psychic app. So, um, again, uh, follow us on our uh, Facebook and uh, as well Dark Fringe Radio. Uh, we're trying to get those numbers up. So, um, again, please do what you can. Uh, again, please, guys, spread the word if you can. And uh, tell everybody that, uh, you know, you may know that may like this type of content um, about us. And so that way, um, you know, we can get our numbers up. And that's the only way we're going to be able to do that. It's going to be by word of mouth. So um, it's up to you guys uh, to uh, if you want to continue to hear us. So, again, I'm Will Martinez here with you tonight and my co-host, Jay Galosi. We'll be getting into the interview with Dominic Parker at the Am I Psychic app here in a second.
tonight I have a very special guest by the name of Dominic Parker. Dominic Parker, he's a graduate student currently out of um, Saybrook University in Oakland, California, and he's working towards his PhD in clinical psychology. So um, you've always been uh, interested in the parapsychology world and the psychic phenomenon, but it wasn't until after reading Lloyd Auerbach's classic ESP Hauntings and Poltergeist that his interest in the paranormal turned up into a serious scientific study. So Dominic left his home in California uh, to attend uh, University of West Virginia to pursue his undergraduate degree in psychology. So um, again, Dominic Parker on the line here with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us on the on Dark Fringe Radio, Dominic. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. Well, great. Listen, thanks for coming on and uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're a busy guy, uh, you know, in college and everything. But um, I, I saw your app and you reached out to me, and I thought this was, um, you know, the coolest thing ever because. Um, at first, I didn't know what to expect, and then when you sent me the link to the app, and I took a look at it, and I started kind of, you know, thumbing through it and started using it, I found it very addictive. <laughs> at first, I was on it for a good, <laughs> a good hour and a half, almost two hours, when I first started using it. So, could you give me a little bit um, of information regarding the MI Psychic app? That's what we're talking about here tonight. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, the MI Psychic app is an app that tests for psychic ability. It tests your ESP ability as well as your psychokinesis or PK ability. And what makes the app, uh, one of the things that makes the app unique is that uh, this is a legitimate psychological experiment. Um, it was recently approved by the Saybrook uh, University IRB board, which is the institutional review board, which basically approves um, scientific studies. And so the app, uh, the first thing I'll see is a consent form, uh, basically letting them know that they're, if they so choose, their results will be anonymously collected. And if they click yes, then the results will be collected in an anonymous database, meaning that I don't get their names or their email addresses or any personal information, but I do get the data from their tests, uh, from all the different tests they take. And eventually the body of data, I'll use that to, uh, I'll use that for my doctoral dissertation as well as publishing in academic journals. Uh, and it's kind of the first of its kind to do that. Um, as well, uh, there's three different games. There's a dice game, a card game, and a spoon bending game, each kind of focusing on a different thing. So the dice game is more of a numeric test. So there's one dice, and then there's six different faces of the die. That was the one I was addicted to. Out of all of them was a dice for some reason. I don't, I'm not sure why, but the dice had me hooked. Well, the, exactly. Um, and that, that, I'm glad to hear it because that was kind of one of the – That's the goal was to make it fun because um, another important thing to point out about the app is that um, I designed it to be a modern mobile app um, rather than just an app uh, like a scientific testing app. So uh, I designed it to be fun. I, I hired a cartoonist to do all the art for it. So it's really kind of fun and colorful and eclectic and unique. Um, and that was the goal was to make something fun to where if someone downloads it, it doesn't feel like they're being tested. Um, it feels like they're having fun, like, uh, you know, like Candy Crush or Class of Clans or something like that. I wanted to make it really um, universally uh you know, applicable to anyone. So someone who's five years old can pick it up and play it or someone who's 105 years old can pick it up and play it. And uh, I wanted to make it fun for everybody. So, uh, so I'm happy to hear that it's addictive for you because that was 
that was one of the goals was to make it fun. Yeah. The interface alone, I mean, was something that I was impressed by because it was so simple. It wasn't overloaded with too much stuff and, and, and too much information. It was pretty direct and to the point, which I loved, you know, about that, about this app. And, you know, it was just easy to use. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, too encumbersome with so much information. It was just, you know, very direct to the point, which again, I loved. So, um, Dominic, give me some background about you. I know you, um, you know, you were attending West Georgia, uh, the University of West Georgia, and then you decided to leave there and finish um, your studies there in Oakland. Take me through the whole, you know, genesis of this, this whole thing for you. Where did this uh, whole, uh, you know, interest come from? Well, um, I've had a lifelong interest in the paranormal uh, ever since I was uh, a small child. Um, I remember going to the library and checking out uh, books on religious phenomena like um, exorcism, stigmata, levitation, um, like St. Joseph of Cupertino uh, was known for his levitations, Padre Pio uh, with the stigmata. So I started there, and this is when I was really young. Um, I don't even know, four or five years old. And... Uh, you know, I read books by the written by the Catholic Church or with a Catholic perspective, um, because you know that's uh, those were the kind of movies I was watching were those exorcism movies as a kid. So um, I started with those books, right. and then uh, I moved into ghost stories and things like that. Um, you know, the books by Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are really famous now because of all those movies, but at the time nobody knew who they were, uh, and. Also to mention that, you know, there's a lot of um, question as to whether uh, what they say happened did happen. But, um, you know, I enjoy a good ghost story, so I started there. And then, um, I, as it said in my bio, um, I bought a book by Lloyd Auerbach, who's a world-famous parapsychologist. Uh, his kind of classic in the field, which is ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists. And I actually had the book for a long time. It was originally published in 1986. Mm-hmm. And I had a first edition, this beat up copy, and it kind of sat, you know, in my room for a while. And then uh, I eventually picked it up and started reading it. And I quickly realized that um, that there was a science that studied these types of phenomena. Um, because, you know, I'm, I like to consider myself to be a pretty logical, rational person who's uh, informed by empirical data. Mm-hmm. So um, at the back of Lloyd's book, there was um, a lot of contact information. Um, and as I said, the book, um, came out in 1986. So the contact information was old and outdated. So I went onto the internet and looked him up and, uh, he teaches classes at HCH Institute in Lafayette, California, Mm. um, in parapsychology, teaches classes in parapsychology, which is about 40 miles from where I was, or pardon me, 40 minutes from where I was living at the time. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I kind of waffled back and forth, kind of wondering whether, um, you know, it was worth it to take the classes or whether it was, you know, just going to be, I don't know, a ploy to make money or something like that. But eventually, you know, the classes were relatively cheap. So I purchased one of the classes. And what's cool about it is that um, I could attend in person or uh, I could also attend over the telephone or I could just be sent the MP3 files from the class. Oh, wow. So I decided to attend in person and which is really cool, by the way, it's a really cool way to learn. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up going to one of the classes, and I quickly realized, uh, I don't know, within 10 minutes of the class starting, that this was not, um, this was a a legitimate class where a lot of uh, pertinent and interesting information was being presented 
And what's great about um, Lloyd Auerbach is that uh, he has all this knowledge, but he presents it in a way that's really easy to understand. Mm. So I started taking his courses, and I was working full-time. I wasn't even in school at that time. Um, I was working full-time, and, you know, I went to his class once a week. And um, I ended up leaving his classes with some of my questions answered, but with more questions, just because of the amount of information he was presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually I decided that uh, this was what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a parapsychologist. And after doing some research, I realized that, um, you know, as I said, it's a, it's a hard science. It's a, it's a science based in empirical data. And I further realized that in order to um, achieve my maximum potential in the field, I would need a PhD. So, and this is me with no undergraduate education and nothing. So I decided to go back to school and I was 24 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was working full time and I was taking a couple classes at the junior college at Napa Valley Junior College. And eventually, um, enough courses to, uh, and I had done well enough to where for the most part I could choose where I wanted to go to school for my undergraduate education. Mm. So at that point, um, and by the way, and during that period, uh, when in between the time I left for the university of West Georgia, I came up with this idea for a mobile app. Mm-hmm. Um, and after sitting and talking with Lloyd about it, um, and he said, you know, that it was a great idea and that uh, I should move forward with it. Um, that's kind of what the impetus for the app and the, the science working behind the app is a random number generator. So there's a lot of research in parapsychology, um, by Dr. Dean Radin, uh, and Dr. Roger Nelson with the global consciousness project or with Dr. Robert Yawn. Pardon me. Yeah, I've heard those names before. And if you could, um, educate my audience on the RNG, the random number generator, if you could. Okie dokie. So a, Random number generator uh, generates random numbers. So what does that mean? So it's similar to an automatic coin flipper. Mm-hmm. So if you were to take a quarter and flip the, flip the quarter over and over and over again, um, you're generating heads, um, many heads and tails, right? Uh, if it lands on heads, it's heads, lands on tails, it's tails. And a random number generator does the same thing, except rather than heads or tails, it's zeros and ones. And there's, it, there's different types of random number generators. There's very simple random number generators to very, very advanced random number generators. And as you get into the more advanced random number generators, they're able to be used for academic study. And uh, the, the prior research seems to show that people, normal people, by the way, and when I say normal, what I mean is they're, they're not what, what you or I would consider to be quote-unquote psychic. Um, are able to influence these random number generators to become less random. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example. Um, So with the Global Consciousness Project, uh, it's about 600 different random number generators um, throughout the world. And what these random number generators are measuring is the global consciousness. And what it seems is that when major events take place, this random number generator becomes less random. And let me give you an example of that. So uh, the September 11th terrorist attacks, Mm -hmm. um, about an hour before the actual attack, the random number generator started becoming less random, meaning rather than 
you know, zero one zero one zero one, making it very random. It started uh, choosing zero a lot more often than would be expected by chance. Hmm. And throughout the terrorist attack, and what's important about um, it becoming less random before the attack is that it seems that the population, normal people, regular people, uh, seem to have an unconscious precognitive sense of something's about to happen. That's pretty And then during the actual pardon me? That's interesting. So you're saying that you're using this random number generator to tap into the consciousness of people and because of their response, you know, maybe subconsciously to maybe something that's going to be happening, that will actually set off the RNG to not be as random as as normal. So that's what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. That's what the Global Consciousness Project does. Mm. And what the app does is it takes the same research, the same conceptual idea mm. of a random number generator, uh, and applies it to these different games. Um, because it's also been shown that people are able to intentionally affect these random number generators to become less random. So the Global Consciousness Project deals with an unconscious effect. Whereas there's also been other research that shows that if, if I ask you to influence the random number generator to become less random, given just a little bit of training on how to quiet your mind and relax, that you would be able to influence the random number generator to become less random as well when you're focusing your intention on it. Mm-hmm. So I used that uh, conceptual idea in the prior research and applied it to a mobile app. And uh, I have an ESP mode, which is relatively simple in the fact that you're attempting to guess which option is going to come up next. So in the dice game, um, you think the, you know, the number two is going to come up next. So you click the number two, the dice rolls, and during that dice roll, the random number generator chooses one through six, and then you'll see whether you got the answer correct or not. So you're getting immediate feedback. And uh, you choose 36 times um, because 36 is the minimum amount required because you have six different options in the way statistics and averages work. You need at least 36 guesses to have a completed test. Right. And then you can see um, in the results screen your, uh, your difference as to what would be expected by chance versus how well you did, the number of correct answers, the number of incorrect answers. And it works that way throughout all three games. And then the... PK mode or the psychokinesis mode is more similar to what I was explaining with the global consciousness project um, where let's all you I'll continue to use the dice game as an example. So the, you have the dice and then you have the six different faces of the die. And then let's say you choose the number three. And then prior to the test starting, you choose either how long you want the test to last one minute, three minutes or five minutes. So let's say you choose one minute, then you choose the number three. And then there's a little countdown, and the random number generator starts choosing, and the dice um, starts rolling in real time, uh, landing on a face of the die over and over and over again. And what you're trying to do is focus your intention to have the random number generator choose the number three more often than would be expected by chance. And then at the end of the 60 seconds, you go to the results screen, and you can see uh, what would be expected by chance, your percentage, the amount of correct answers, the amount of incorrect answers. And each time a test is completed, if the user so chooses, the results are then collected into the anonymous database, which I will eventually use to publish. 
to show the world that uh, these phenomena exist. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And you know, it's it's a you know very intuitive and uh, innovative way to figure out something like that. And you know, I when I started really looking into it. Um, I, you know, I really saw the, the silver lining in, in the whole process. And, you know, you talk about this app and, you know, how it's testing for psychic ability. And, you know, one thing that I thought that was, you know, very cool about it as well was that, you know, there's very little funding for the field of uh, parapsychology. And, um, you know, that's it's, it's true. Yeah. And it's been since day one. It's never it's never going to be any different, unfortunately. So when, when it comes to parapsychology and let's say ghost hunting, What's the differences between those two? Um, well, uh, there's quite a few differences, actually. Um, first, I want to say that as far as the ghost hunting, um, you know, because there's a big paranormal craze going on. Yes. Um, it's done a lot of good also. So the, the good that it's done is that it's made uh, it easier to admit that people have these experiences. Now, if you look through the literature and through history, these phenomena go back all the way to the Bible and even before that. Right. And millions of people all over the world have these experiences. So it's not an uncommon thing. But prior to this paranormal craze, um, you know, you didn't necessarily want to admit that, yes, I saw a ghost or I see dead people or I knew that was going to happen because I saw it in the future or something like that. Because, you know, you could be, you would be considered to be crazy. You would lose friends. Uh, you could lose your job, things like that. And because of this paranormal craze, it's made it so that it's easier for people to admit these experiences. They're not going to lose friends because it's become more accepted. So that's a positive of the ghost hunting. And then the, the, the not so positive side, um, from a parapsychologist perspective. Now, I'm not a parapsychologist. I consider myself a parapsychologist in training, mm -hmm. but what I am is a scientist, and I'm studying these psychic phenomena. So the kind of the differences are that, uh, number one, most psychic or paranormal phenomena happen during the day, and that's a really important thing to take into account. So why would I go do a investigation in the dark when the phenomena are happening during the day. Right. Does it make sense? Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, but if I'm on a television show and I want people to watch my television show using a night vision camera looks cool on TV. Mm. Using a thermal camera looks cool on TV. Um, using an EMF detector that makes noises and lights up looks cool on TV. Uh, but it's not really doing science. Uh, all of these EMF meters, I don't know, spirit boxes, all the different uh, equipment that are used in the ghost, kind of the ghost hunting field, yeah. they're environmental detectors, right? So they're measuring, you know, the ambient temperature in a room, or they're measuring the electromagnetic field in the air. Um, and just because an area has a high EMF field, it mean it doesn't mean that there's a ghost around. It doesn't mean that it's more likely to see a ghost. All it means is that there's a high electromagnetic field in that area. Mm -hmm. That's all it means. Um, it, 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 there's no such thing as a, a ghost detecting tool. So, you know, there's a lot of differences. It's um, like I said, the biggest one is that most paranormal phenomena happen during the day. So you would investigate during the day. Right. 
The second thing is that what's most important is the person's story. So if you're going into somebody's home, the most important thing to do is to assist the person, to get the story, to, you know, put them at ease, and to find out what the real answer for the phenomenon is. I mean, too often on these ghost hunting shows, um, you know, they walk into the house and say, there's an evil presence Mm -hmm. in the house. There's a demon. And that doesn't do anything to help anyone. It scares people. There's been many instances where parapsychologists have later been called into cases where ghost hunters were before, and the people are scared to death because of what the ghost hunters told them. And there's never been a case where a parapsychologist has gone in and said, yes, there is a demon, or yes, there is, uh, you know, there's an evil spirit in the house or something like that. Now, there are... Just like regular people, there's nice people and there's not so nice people. It would be this, if you're thinking logically, if when you die, you become a ghost. If you were not a nice person in life, you're probably not going to be a nice person in death. Now, that doesn't mean you're evil. It doesn't mean you're a demon. Um, It means that, you know, maybe the investigation needs to go a different way. To make the spirit or the apparition is what uh, scientists would call them to make the ghost leave you alone. Um, So you don't scare the people. The person's story is most important. You investigate during the day. If the phenomenon is happening during the day, you investigate during the day. And, you know, you don't need night vision cameras. You don't, in in general, need thermal cameras. Um, You know, and occasionally uh, you might need an EMF meter just to see if maybe the electromagnetic field, because there is research, that shows if electromagnetic fields are really, really high, that uh, people hallucinate. They think that things are there that aren't there. Mm. And that's, that doesn't mean they're crazy. It means that there's a high EMF field. There's also cases where there's been a gas leak in the house, a small gas leak, which makes people see things out of the corner of their eye. Mm-hmm. And they have auditory uh, hallucinations, meaning that they, they hear something that's not there. So there's a lot of different normal explanations as well. It's not every case that a parapsychologist goes into doesn't necessarily mean that there's actually activity going on. And the other difference is that, you know, and I don't want to appeal to authority by saying, oh, you have to have a PhD to do this because you don't. Mm -hmm. But what you need is proper training. You know, you need to know what a high what what actually happens when there's high EMF fields just like in anything else what just like in anything else you need to have some training so you're not scaring people you're not misidentifying what's going on um you know it's it's just totally different and i and if you watch the ghost hunting shows for entertainment purposes that's great but what it seems is that um a lot of the ghost hunting groups while their intentions may be absolutely in the right place and they may genuinely be interested in helping people, mm-hmm. they take their cues on how to conduct their investigations from the ghost hunting shows. Okay, so, you know, we need a technology expert. We need, I don't know, a religious expert. We need night vision cameras. We need this, we need that. When conducting an actual scientific investigation is completely different. Is completely different. And you actually gain a greater understanding of what the phenomena is and 
what that means, if you understand what's happened in the past, so if you understand prior research, then you better understand what's going on in the present. But uh, it seems that many of the ghost hunting groups, not all, of course, but many of the ghost hunting groups, and especially the groups on TV, um, either choose to ignore or don't know about the history of the field of parapsychology. Um, so they're considerably different. Is that a is that a fair answer to the question? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it sums up, you know, exactly what I was pretty much thinking, uh, but you put it in a much more eloquent way. So, yeah, that makes you know perfect sense. And another thing about the app, uh, you know, getting back to the app, the Am I Psychic app. Um, one thing oh, I did um, look into and I thought was really cool is that talking about the field of parapsychology and talking about you know the 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 need for funding for for that field of um, you know science. Part of the profits that were generated by this app would be donated to the Rhind Research Center, which I thought that's pretty freaking cool, man. You know, you're giving back to, you know, you know to the people that are teaching you. That's right. That's right. Well, so um, talking just a little bit about the funding in parapsychology, uh, you know, and I'll give you a quick, quick little bit of history. So the Society for Psychical Research, uh, which would be a first official organized institutional group of scientists to study these phenomena was in 1882, and it included some of the greatest scientists and philosophers of the day. And at that time, there was funding for the field because we're talking about the, some of the leading scientists, like uh, the father of American psychology, William James, Dr. Frederick Myers, uh, a, a lot of heavy hitters in the academic world. So there was funding at that time. And then moving on to the 1930s, there was a at Duke University run by uh, Dr. Joseph Banks Ryan, better known as J.B. Ryan, uh, there was a department in parapsychology. And uh, he published a lot of results, and due to uh, J.B. Ryan, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, um, which is kind of the, the big overarching group that determines Yes, this is a scientific discipline. No, this is pseudoscience. So in 1969, uh, if I remember correctly, 1969 or 1967, uh, the American Association for the Advancement of Science declared that parapsychology is a discipline of science. There is science going on. And also in 1969, uh, the Department of Parapsychology at Duke University, due to political pressures, was asked politely, uh, J.B. Ryan was politely asked to retire, and he took uh, the Ryan Research Center, uh, what became the Ryan Research Center, off Duke campus, so it's still in Durham, North Carolina, about a block or two at most from the campus, and it's the oldest parapsychological laboratory in the United States. And once uh, the Ryan Research Center, what became the Ryan Research Center, left Duke University, the academic funding really started to dry up. And what I mean by that is grants and things like that. It became more uh, private donors. I'll give you an example. So the gentleman who invented the Xerox copy machine, he donated millions of dollars uh, to the University of Virginia mm -hmm. to support a, uh, a chair for the Division of Perceptual Studies. And uh, to this day at the University of Virginia, they do a lot of uh, reincarnation studies. Wow. So studies on children who remember past lives. Uh, Dr. Jim B. Tucker runs that. So it's become private donors. So when I created this app, especially being in, at the time I was an undergraduate, um, it's very, it would be difficult, incredibly difficult to secure funding 
even if I was doing a more mainstream science as an undergraduate, but because I'm doing a, you know, a more anomalous form of science and a more fringe type science, uh, and I don't really like to use the word fringe, but compared to mainstream science, it is kind of on the fringier side. Right. Uh, it was impossible for me to get any funding. So I actually funded the project myself uh, completely. Um, and, you know, it was, it was quite expensive, but it was absolutely worth it because at the time I, I, you know, I was working full time and going to school full time, but my tuition and my room and board and a lot of things were paid for through my tuition. So I had a lot of free money. I worked at the number one restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and you can make a pretty decent living working in restaurants. So I took a lot of that money and funded the app. But what was important to me was, um, because I am charging a dollar, one dollar and ninety nine cents for the app, but I wanted the profits to be donated to the Rhine Research Center. So if some of your listeners purchase the app, they're not paying me. What they're actually doing is supporting future research in parapsychology because some of the profits are being donated to the Rhine Research Center. And parapsychology as a science asks some of the most important questions of humanity. I mean I always like to say this that Parapsychology is asking, what happens when I die? Where do I go next? The questions Who are everybody we? has. What are we? What is consciousness? Things like that. So, uh, so yes, some of the profits being generated by the app are being donated to the Ryan Research Center. Yeah, that's great. And, again, my listeners, it's $2, less than a, a, you know, a cup of coffee. Go and buy the app. You'll love it. You'll get addicted to it in a good way. It's, it's a great, fun app, and you'll love the, the layout and how it looks and how it feels. And, you know, you'll be doing part of, you know, a good favor for the parapsychology field at the same time. So, again, Dominic, uh, where can we find your app? How we can, you know, g- can someone get a hold of all this, uh, you know, fun? Okie dokie. So it's available on all Android phones and all Apple phones. And it's also available on all tablets. So that means if you have an Android tablet, you can play the app. If you have an iPad, you can play the app. And where you would find the app, um, you could look on the Google Play Store or the iOS Store and do a search for "Am I Psychic?" question mark. However, what I like to tell people because it's much easier is if you go to the homepage for the app, amipsychicapp.com. Again, that's amipsychicapp.com. Uh, right in bold letters at the top of the page is a button to download for the Google Play Store and a button to download for the iOS Store. And when you click that, it will redirect you to the uh, app store of your choice, whether it's uh, Google Play or um, Apple App Store. And then, you know, all you do is you purchase the app. It's $1.99. You're helping support my research, uh, my personal research to be used for my doctoral dissertation, as well as I'm publishing the research in academic journals eventually, which is adding another block to topple the house of cards that the skeptics have built who say that these phenomena don't exist. Mm -hmm. And then also by purchasing the app, you're supporting the Ryan Research Center because the profits are being donated there. So if you go to mipsychicapp.com, you can find it. Perfect. And um, Dominic, one last thing I want to ask you. So what are you going to do with all this information? Once you have all this information, you've compiled it and you have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of, you know, you know, data, uh, pages of data, and you know what? What? What's what's the end game? What are you going to do with all this information? Well, as I said, um, I'm. It was just approved by my uh, by the IRB for Saybrook University, so I'll take the information. 
I will be sitting in front of a computer for months, probably, <laughs> going through all of the data and doing statistical measures on all of the data on the thousands of pages of data. And I will use that to write my doctoral dissertation. And then what I'll do is I will also take the data and I will publish it in academic journals. So like, you know, maybe the Journal of Parapsychology or the Journal of Consciousness Studies or even a more mainstream psychological journal. And what that does is it adds, like I said, the, the data, hopefully, the, you know, only the data will tell whether a psychic effect is present. So hopefully uh, a psychic effect will be present in the data, and then I will publish it in academic journals. And what that does is it, it adds one more step in the staircase towards psychic phenomena being accepted by the mainstream materialist, physicalist, scientific community. So uh, when I say that the, one of the goals of the app is to prove psychic phenomena to the world, that's how it's doing it. So this data is going to help prove the existence of psychic phenomena to the world, as well as bring parapsychology as a science into the 21st century and into the mainstream. Well, I think that's wonderful, Dominic. And again, everybody, you can go to mipsychicapp.com and download the app. Less than a cup of coffee, two bucks. You're not going to regret it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, give it a try, and I guarantee you, you'll definitely be hooked for a while. So, again, uh, Dominic, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, I know I have a feeling you're going to come up with another app. I just I feel it. So, once that happens, or if you have something else come out, I would love for you to come back on the show so that way we can promote that as well. Okay. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me, Will. I appreciate it. All right, Dominic. Again, everybody, check out the MI Psychic app at mipsychicapp.com. Download it, and you'll have a lot of fun. down the road it's very fallout 4 man and that game you're fighting for rights of synthetic human beings and i don't know man i don't know i have trouble giving my washing machine a bill of rights but the problem is is this is that these machines are going to get so smart and they're going to be so accustomed to how we think and how we live 
that it's going to become inevitable. They're going to want that. They're going to want to become their own entity. They're going to want to become their own person in a way. And it's going to be very weird. You're going to have people. You're going to have people integrating with robots and robots having their own rights. Well, it's, well, here's the thing, though, right? And this is where we as humanity need to decide on where our line in the sand is. We, we need to decide, uh, you know, right now, while AI is, as somebody at Google said, it's, you know, it right now is as smart as a fourth grader. Well, I'm sorry, that computer being smart as a fourth grader is still smarter than I am and will one day want things which is hard to believe because, you know, a machine can't really want something. It doesn't understand the feelings and emotions and um, but anything intelligent enough to know that it's intelligent knows that it shouldn't have to be a belonging or an it. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, the, the thing is, is this, is that you get the machines, you know, learning the human behavior and it's going to learn to do that. That's just because what humans do. So, that was my prediction for the future, and maybe it'll come one day, maybe it won't. But, you, you know, you're right. Drawing that line in the sand, that is our job as humans. The problem is, is that are we going to be able to draw that line at the right time, or is it going to be too late? Because there's companies out there right now that are doing some crazy-ass shit with AI. For instance, there's this uh, company that I was reading today um, as I was doing some research um, for the show and what they're doing is they're um, making a baby, like an AI baby. And this baby is basically uh, you interact with it and it learns human behavior. And what it does is as it gets older, it, it, as time goes on, it gets older, just like a normal human. So like regular calendar years. So like, for instance, if it's born on January 1st, uh, 2017 and 2018, same day, it's going to be one years old and it's going to look a little bit older. So it's actually going to go through the progression of, you know, a living human being and actually learning and interacting with live human beings as it gets older and learning all those behaviors. So what they're doing with that is they're actually unlocking like the secrets of human nature and, you know, how we can kind of reprogram that. And so that's just, you know, one thing already that they're doing. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's scary as fuck, dude. Like that is, scary because you're not really unlocking the behaviors uh, of humanity. What you're doing is you are actually, you're taking inventory of it. You're, you're itemizing it so that at one point something can actually become smarter enough, smart enough to know that it's smarter than us and know exactly how to do what it needs to do to either enslave and or eradicate us. And it, it's going to be Terminator. It's going to be, Sky you know, man. the scene in the Matrix where these weird robots are tunneling through the ground looking for the Nebuchadnezzar. Right. It's going to be Skynet. Yeah, it, it absolutely is, dude. It's, it's a frightening, frightening thing. That's where, you know, one company uses it just as access chips, but then another company uses it to rewrite human DNA. You have to put it inside your brain and... and access all of your memories and your thoughts. Yeah. You know, if you can't have privacy inside your own head, uh, that's a scary world to live in, dude. That's a scary, scary world. I, we're already far out of touch with humanity and way too reliant on technology. Don't get me wrong. I love my dumbass smartphone. 
but I don't want it knowing what I think. Absolutely. And you know what's so crazy about that, too, is that the smartphone, if you really think about what it's, you know, how quickly it's progressed, it's only been around in existence for maybe the last 10 years, maybe the last five that's been really good. And that's a quick, you know, that's a quick up ramp as far as what that little damn device can do. And imagine what the cell phone is going to look like when, you know, our kids are maybe, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. You know, imagine what that's going to be like. So, you know, going back to that that company I was telling you about, it's called Baby X. It's the virtual artificially intelligent creation of Mark Sager and his new company, Soul Machines Limited. Um, it basically looks and sounds and acts so much like a real baby that interacting with her produces a genuine emotional response, just the kind that you get well, when, you know, a real baby coos and giggles at you. So they're saying that's exactly the point. Uh, baby X makes it appealing to humans to interact with AI at each and each instance of interaction uh, teaches her more about what it's like being human. So, like I was saying, as the more you interact and different people interact with the baby, the baby's learning how you know humans are are you know interacting with each other, and that's scary. So, Sagar is a force of the humanization of AI. He believes that this may be important to installing a symbiotic relationship between humans and AIs. Uh, many AIs. Right, but go ahead. Why are we trying to what? Why are we trying to make a symbiotic relationship with something that, A, we right now can control and utilize for our benefit and not put ourselves in that position? Like, I understand trying to further humanity and further science, you know, like this, uh, like the microchips that uh, CRISPR, that you, it rewrites the DNA or, or cure illnesses. That's great. That's helpful. That's pushing humanity forward and farther and faster. But where's the line stand for that? Exactly. Are we going to get to a point where we can start deciding that, you know what? I want a girl instead of a boy when it's born. I want, I don't want my kid to be five foot three like me. I want my kid to be six foot three. Right. I, I mean, we're going to start pumping out superhumans. And again, humanity becomes extinct because we're losing that connection. We're losing our, our sense of humanity for an addiction. Technology is an addiction. Oh, it certainly is. I mean, I, I know some people that are just more addicted to their cell phones than um, some people that are on drugs. So, um, you know, I, I can make the correlation. I can see that. So, um, you know, going back to this, Sagar, he, you know, he's wanting to get this like symbiotic relationship between humans and AI. And, you know, like you said, it's scary. But again, like what you said, many experts in the AI field argue that robots and AI systems can only realize their full potential if they become more like humans. So by doing that and arming them with that that knowledge of being human, all they're going to do is get smarter than us eventually. And then you're going to have some kind of like planet of the apes, but not apes. It's going to be fucking, you know, robots, you know, ruling this world. It's going to be it's going to be Terminator. Yeah. Have you heard of this uh, this fader in, in Russia? No, tell me about it. All right, so they have this. They, it, it's a fully atomic robot. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Russians have said that fader is not meant for military conquest. It's not meant for anything violent. What it is meant to do is it's actually supposed to, it's, its purpose is to replace cosmonauts in space and have it have longer missions because it's not going to need the, the food, the fuel, the sleep. It's not going to need those those maintenance things that humans need to survive. 
Now, it's not going to notice atrophy from not having any gravity. It's just going to go about its business. But as you look in this, as you're watching these videos, it can art, it can drive a car. It can walk. It can process. It can fire multiple weapons at the same time at multiple targets. That right there scares the bejesus out of me, man. It's not for astronauts. It's for astronauts, not for weapon. Okay, so if it's for astronauts, why are they having it shoot guns? <laughs> I was just, I don't know, playing devil's advocate, you know. Yeah, I, listen, I'm I'm with you. I, I can see the benefit as to, yes, putting a robot in space that can do these things or process these things and go out farther can help us because eventually we're going to overrun the Earth where we need to, we need to move. We need to go find new places. We need to stretch out our 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 breed, if you will. The human being needs to expand and push forward and find new spots. And obviously, a robot that can fly for seven years straight and not need any sleep or food or water or anything like that. Because right now, to fly the mission is a suicide. You're not coming back. It's a one way trip. That's it. This guy can go there, get us what we need, and and come back so we can start to figure out how we can colonize Mars, um, you know, in future generations. But if you take this baby X AI and you end up intermingling it with Fader, brother, you got, you got, you got Terminator. Terminator. You, yeah, you, you do. Yeah, you got to have him walking around like this thing. I've been reading your brain. Yeah, no, for I real. I know what you think. Then you get a fucking shotgun to the face, too. And then, you know, it, it, it gets to that point, and then then you have some things that are happening now, like in the like right now. For instance, you know, there's this um, commercial weather drone service that they're going to start up, and they're looking to put these drones in the air to basically become like a customized weather forecast service uh, for people. And basically what they're saying is um, it's called Earth Networks, and they're launching a hyperlocal low-altitude alt- weather service called the uh, Spheric Drone Flight System uh, to keep drone missions safer and more efficient. And Basically, as many as 1.6 million commercial drones will be in the air by 2021. And that's crazy because that means that if you're going to have that many drones in the air, um, good luck looking at the sky and just seeing, you know, clear blue all the time. You're going to be seeing shit flying around all the fucking time. I mean, what is our obsession? But I, I think having technology i think having information that is at your fingertips and and is easy is good to a point but everything you've got to have that line in the sand everything you've got to know your limitations you know it's yeah what's wrong with the doppler that motherfucker works that jim matthews has been on tv for like 30 years fucking telling what's going on with the doppler Right. Well, I, you know, yeah, I know he absolutely has. The Doppler has been great. I, I think our current technology with that is as good as it needs to be. You know, we just had major a major hurricane decide it was going to swallow up all of Florida, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of damage. There was a lot of devastation. Obviously, there was a lot of less last second second guessing on where it was going. The cone of death was wide, and no one knew, but it knew enough. I think it was close enough, you know, for all of our good. I think for the most part, um, you know, we were as informed as, as prepared. Now, obviously, we hear 
uh, and West Palm got it a lot less than they did in Naples or on the other side of the coast. But again, how 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 specific does something need to be? We're already losing so much of our humanity. I, I was having a conversation with a gentleman, an older gentleman today, talking about how people will sit in a booth at a restaurant across from one another texting each other. We're losing humanity. We're losing that connection, that individual personalized connection with the person sitting across from you that you can very easily take, you can look at and talk to. Yeah, that's, you know, it, that's crazy. That's crazy. You know, I, our kids today, like when you and I were kids, we we're outside all day long and we thought it was cool that we had our, our Nintendos and our Segas and when we got a little bit older, our, our PS1 and it was great graphics. The guys were perfect rectangles it was it was momentary we, we played it for an hour an hour and a half we went on and did stuff and we we went places yeah. i tell you man my my kids they're addicted to their phones the, the biggest thing i can do if i want to get their attention is take away their phones or their tablets yeah and the scary take thing, away the electronic devil yeah and the scary thing is is like i was saying earlier you know goodbye just looking at the sky and seeing that clear blue sky, but most of the people are not even looking up in the sky anymore. They're looking down. They're looking down at their cell phone. They're looking down at their tablet. And, um, you know, speaking of the sky, and I was telling you earlier about these drones, right now, at the end of 2016, last year, um, the commercial drone fleet is was around 42,000 in the United States. Guess what it's going to be? Yeah. Guess what it's going to be at 2021? No, 402,000. Yeah. So basically 400,000 more in the air. So you're, it's going to be crazy. All you're going to do is be seeing drones fly around constantly through the air. Fuck birds. God knows what that's going to do to the bird population. Listen, man, our our reliance on technology is losing our touch with the environment. It's losing our touch with what we've become. And I mean, everything goes through an evolution. This is obviously a, a portion of our evolutionary chain where we're we're moving on. But I. I warn, I hesitate against these things, man. It, it's too much. We are, we are taking things, and again, there are benefits to certain things that we get with technology. There's, there are, there's an ease of life now that has never been. Uh, but that being said, there's also, there's, there's a lack of contact. There's a lack of consciousness. There's, there's too much information for too many people that just makes you for lack of a better word, fucking stupid. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, I think there's also a little bit of an awakening, too, because I think a lot of people are kind of realizing this. I think people in our generation more specifically, um, because I, I see that people are starting to say, OK, listen, I don't need to be so dependent on my you know smartphone. Um, you know, sometimes I just see people not use it as much or, you know, I've even seen some people go to the extreme of going back to a flip phone uh, without this, you know, the smartphone, you know, bullshit. And, um, you know, I've seen people do that or even get rid of it completely. I've seen some people do that as well. So, you know, I, as much as we are heading in that way, and I do agree with you, I think there are some people, especially in our generation, that um, are starting to realize it and, um, you know, are trying to do something about it. And another thing that I was reading today, too, was um, there's a new Chinese startup in Arizona uh, that's called True Simple. And True Simple, what they're doing, they're going to be challenging Tesla's driverless trucks in Arizona. So basically, I don't know if you know this or not, Jay, but in Australia right now, there are driverless, uh, um, you know, 18-wheelers right now, 
commercial 18-wheelers that are just driverless. Um, and that's completely legal right now in in Australia. And it's already you know going to be a big thing here. You can already see where, where it's going to go. Think about it. You're going to have a truck. All right, so now, go ahead. Well, so, so now here's a whole other aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Let's think of the economical side of it. Of course. Okay, so yeah, these these trucks, again, they, they move product faster. It doesn't need to stop. They don't need to sleep or eat. But what happens to those guys that are driving the trucks? Exactly right. What happens when you don't have any more truck drivers? All right, so now there's there's a drain on, on our our national product. There's not people who can go out because they, they lost their job. There's not a computer doing their job. They can't go buy things, and the economy starts to tank. That's all. I mean, we're putting ourselves on the block of extinction. Because why? I need to know. Uh, yeah, what good is a human going to be in the future? You know, who I mean? was the fifteenth president? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, like I, I want to look up on my phone and see the exact stats from my, my the most recent football game, or I I want to do my fantasy football, or I like really how fucking lazy are we as a as a species that that's where we're going to? We're we're having trucks drive themselves. That's let me, crazy. Let me put it in this perspective. Think about this. And I was just thinking about this earlier. 20 years ago, if I wanted to see what the stats were for the 85 Chicago Bears, what would I have to do? God, 20 years ago? 20 years ago. So we're talking about like dawn no, like, of the internet. So, ba- you know, barely the internet. You would have to pull the plastic cover we all had on top of our personal computers because uh, we all had it so dust didn't get in because we were afraid that dust was going to ruin them. <laughs> You pull off that plastic thing, you turn it on, you watch that warming incandescent glow, the little half-eaten apple pops up or the rainbowed IBM, and then you have to connect to the rod and you, you hear the... And you, you, hope you hope that somebody- by... Typing in somewhere, you get what you need, or or you hope that somebody didn't pick have, up the phone either while you were trying to connect to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one used the phone. I'm looking at the 85 bears. <laughs> I want to see just how many sacks that big-eyed Michael Singletary got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, dude. But yeah, that's exactly. But even like let's just say five years before that, what would you have to do? You would have to actually go wow. down to the local library, look up a fucking stat book that had all the stats in it, look at it from print, and then that's how you would get your stat. Now, all I gotta do is go to my cell phone and go to Google and find out. What yeah, the man, fuck- libraries libraries are in a bad spot right now. Yeah. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that because our current. Um, insatiable desire with technology is ruining in a library the Dewey Decimal System man our kids don't know what the Dewey Decimal System is it doesn't even exist they don't understand anymore. how those little cards are it doesn't exist no no they don't know what microfiche is you no might, you might as well say some fucking you know word in, in, in Swahili you know that it doesn't it doesn't compute and it, it's scary to know that that's where we're going but the human race has to be able to also change with the times as well. You have to be able to, you know, stay ahead of the curve when it comes to technology, because if you don't, you know, for instance, if you're in a field where, you know, it's just like physical labor work, 
stuff like that, yeah, that that's going to be useful and that's that that will have a long longevity. But there's going to be those jobs that in those specialty areas where you're not going to have them anymore. They're not going to, you know, like these people that work at McDonald's or, or Burger King. You know, God bless them. They're they're working. They're you know that's a hard living. But those people, they're not going to be needed. I, I want to tell you in about twenty years, they're already replacing you know the people that inside the McDonald's. You know, you just touch the screen, you order on the screen. And that's it. And then you only have like two or three people working the back actually cooking and then, you know, pushing out the orders. So that's where we're headed, you know, and a lot of these jobs are going to become obsolete. I think it's us, our jobs as human beings that we have to kind of, you know, be observant and diligent about that to stay ahead of the curve and, and stay on the side of technology. Because if you don't, um, you're going to end up, you know, in something that's going to be obsolete. Well, and that's, well, and that's where we have to as humanity again, draw that line in the sand. Find where we can use technology to better our world, better ourselves, but not lose our humanity. You know, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you have to stay in the line behind five other people before you order your number two with your super-sized fries. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. No. Give you a minute to pull out your smartphone and play solitaire for God's sakes. But the, the just, it's, it's, again, it's humanity. We have this just unbelievable drive to make things that need to be right now. We need that instantaneous gratification. We need it right now. It's got to be right this second. I want to know something. I need I need information. I want it now. I want food. I want it now. I want to go look at something. I don't want to go look at something. I want to sit in my living room and peruse it on my laptop. It's just things are becoming too simple. So as, as humanity, we need to look at, say, okay, how can we use technology to make our lives easier without affecting our overall existence? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, that guy who's, you know, flipping the burgers and taking the orders. I mean, he's got a job. He's got a sense of purpose. And, you know, he's not making millions of dollars. That's okay. He's out. He's working. He's, he's interacting with people. He's doing what he's got to do to, again, continue to move humanity forward. The second we replace that guy with a machine that could obviously do his job just as simple, we're, we make a conscious effort to replace our humanity. And that is why this this subject, it, it just scares the bejesus out of me. Of course. And it the, really does. And not only that, the privacy of, of, your, of yourself. Your privacy is going out the window. Oh, there slowly but surely it's there going is out no the privacy. No, it, it's gone. Um, for instance, I was there reading, is no privacy. I was reading this article today, and it was uh, it says this. Uh, the, the headline said, "New software helps cars recognize when you're texting and driving." Now think about that. Think about that headline. New software helps cars recognize when you're texting and driving. So this fucking software will be in your car to let your car know when somebody else in another car is texting and driving. Think about that. See, again, where can we find practical application to make our world safer but without removing humanity? Okay, how about we get things that when you drive, I mean, we could already, to a point, do it. Uh, Like, I can't, I've, (laughs) I've got this app that's like a GPS app Mm-hmm. That if I'm driving, I can't type. I can't type in. Mm-hmm. My wife, who's riding passenger, can type in the, the thing. But if I'm driving and trying to type it in, it won't let me. So 
this is what we need. Okay, let's use technology to, to help us stop texting and driving so we can pay more attention to the road. So we, do, so we are more interlinked and involved. But don't just say, oh, okay, how about the car just drives itself? Because that GPS gets screwed up and the car drives itself off the cliff. Yeah. Or maybe the, the sensor gets dirty and then you end up rear-ending somebody. And the idea is that when you remove the human element, you remove uh, a lot of the percentage of, of accidents or you remove a lot of the, the faults and the mistakes, but you're not going to. There's still a, there's a million things that could go wrong that could still put you in a bad position, and now we've lost the ability to understand how to fix the problem. Or we've lost the ability to understand, oh, i got to hit the brake. You know, it's not too hard to think that there could be a couple of generations. Our, our kids' kids or our kids' grandkids aren't going to remember pushing an accelerator or a brake. They're not going to remember turn signals. They're not going to know that back when we were kids and a little bit before us, there weren't even turn signals. Our grandparents had to put their hand out the window. Yep. we are, Our generation already forgot what an encyclopedia is. Absolutely. And that's a damn shame. That's a damn shame. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. No, no. I was I was having this conversation just the other day about like telephones. Mm. You know, who has a phone with a cord on it anymore? Half of us don't even have phones in our homes. We have just our cell phones that we rely on. You know, to such a degree that, but it's there's some there was something maybe just nostalgic about it. You know, you get mad, you can actually hang up the phone. You don't just push the button. Purposely, you, you you could again. There was that physical connection. There was that mechanical connection to something. This slowly, be, and actually, not at this point, it's not even all that slow anymore. It's but it's being replaced. It's being eradicated. This portion of our life is just being erased. It is slowly but surely. It is, and uh, it's scary. Uh, another headline that I was reading um, regarding AI was um, how the CIA is using artificial intelligence to collect social media data. The CIA is developing AI to advance data collection and analysis capabilities. These technologies are and will be continue to be used for social media data only. Supposedly, that's what they say. Um, the United States Central Intelligence Agency requires large quantities of data collected from a variety of sources in order to complete investigations. Since its creation in 1947, Intel has typically been gathered by hand. Uh, the advent of computers has improved the process, but the even more modern methods can still be painstakingly slow. Ultimately, those methods only achieve minuscule amounts of data uh, when compared to what artificial intelligence can gather. Now, they're, what they're doing is they're, they're developing the software where it just takes – it basically takes a, a, a human fingerprint of what your behavior is on social media. So they basically get like a social media profile of you, of all of your social media. They'll take, you know, everything and they'll just compile it into one and have like this almost like, you know, how FBI has, you know, uh, profiles on serial killers. It's basically the same yeah. thing. Profiles on what your social media behavior is. Again, I, I think it's us as humans trying to make the job so easy that we forget just some of our, our basic human rights. I mean, yeah, if you're on social media and you're posting stuff, uh, you're putting it out there for everybody to see, and that, that includes the FBI. And that in and of itself, it puts you in a position where things can be used against you that you didn't even mean to be used against you. Or it, it, it paints the picture that without 
that connection of emotion, it can make something very easily misconstrued. You know, again, it's like you said earlier, there's no more privacy. There's, there's profiles on all of us that we don't even know about. And this, this whole AI situation is only making it worse. It's us giving these computers a consciousness and an ability to learn how to, I don't want to say control us, but how, how to conquer us, how, how to put us in a position to where uh, they're no longer the subservient machine, but they are more the master. And that's, we, I mean, again, it, it's a scary world, dude. That's, that's a scary thing to think about. This, that anytime somebody goes on and they like a picture because they think that, you know, they like that uh, that car that someone just bought, or they like that they, they like the gardening that their grandma is doing while she's in her crocs. <laughs> that gets added to an ultimate profile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you know, like countries like Russia, even though they're you know really far behind the United States in terms of you know artificial intelligence development, um, especially as it pertains to intelligence, um, there seems to be a, a global push. Everybody. You see, you know, China talking about it. You see, you know, all the global leaders and powers talking about it. And they're saying that knowledge is power in creating that technology capable of extracting, sorting, and analyzing data faster than any human or any other AI system could, you know, certainly sound like a fast track to the top. And what I mean by the top is, you know, Vladimir Putin, obviously, you know, the ruler of Russia, because I will call him a ruler. I don't know. I don't think he's a president. Um, I think he has that that shit under his thumb. But uh, Vladimir Putin recently stated on the subject of AI, he stated, quote, whoever becomes the leader in this sphere will become the ruler of the world. And, you know, that's a pretty. Yeah. That's but pretty what is that? That's a big statement. But what is what is what he's not. And it's hard to say because he didn't get there by being an idiot. He, he didn't get to become uh, the ruler of Mother Russia by being dumb. No, he was the head uh, of the KGB. And if Russia is listening, I'm not trying to uh, <laughs> say he's he's dumb. I'm just simply saying that you're, you're forgetting the, the simple human fact that the second these machines get smarter than us, then whomever was the leader in that particular technology, whoever was the one that really pushed it to that point is ultimately going to be the one majorly responsible for humankind's what's going to ultimately be a fight for survival and a fight for survival where we're fighting things that don't get tired, that, you know, don't get hungry, that they don't feel remorse. They don't feel guilt. You get, you get these machines that don't have any conscience obviously, and don't have what you say, you know, guilt and all those human characteristics that make humans humans, obviously. I mean, just, you, you just break it down to the most basic, the most basic level. I, you know, remember being a kid getting picked on, and my dad teaching me. You know, the first thing you want to do is you, you want to punch a guy in right between the eyes because then his, you, if you hit him in the nose, his eyes water, he can't see. You hit him in the throat, he can't breathe, and if a guy can't see, he can't breathe, he can't fight. Right. Well, you can't do that to a robot. Yeah. You know, how how many pieces of its body, its anatomy, would you have to remove? to make it so it, it stops coming after you. That's, yeah. Uh, take the batteries. I don't know. Jack for his batteries? Uh, well, I, well, okay. So you're... Come up again. off those batteries, fool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that lithium-ion shit. Yeah. That's what I got. 
But again, I mean, batteries are going farther and longer now, and and can recharge, and you know, things learn how to use solar energy. I mean, again, it's it's a recipe for disaster. There are good implications. There are good ways to use this technology. Things like uh, like that CRISPR we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, it, you get this chip, and it it can rewrite your genetic code to help fight disease or help heal wounds to help like, that's a good thing. If, if it, that can help us, you know, demolish cancer, if that can help us with genetic deformities that if it can enrich people's lives, that's a good thing. But the second you have that thing go in your brain and there's no way of knowing it's not firing things off to someone who's monitoring you and, that someone who's monitoring monitoring you will someday become a thing that monitors you. And, and then again, you lose what little bit of privacy you have left, which is what's up inside your brain. You end up the puppet of, of a machine. Well, speaking of that, I was uh, also reading uh, today earlier there, you know, the, you know, our cell phones have, you know, 3g and 4g networks, right? Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're coming out with the 5g network and I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but that's something that they've been working on and, and looking or trying to roll out, I guess in the next few years, a 5g, right. um, um, you know, program, whatever. So basically they're saying, and some people are saying this, that the 5g is actually going to be able to, um, penetrate the nanoparticles in your body and actually change how you basically act. And um, they're saying once that kind of rolls out, that may be something that we're not going to know if it's going to be a byproduct of this 5G network um, because of the technology that they're using for that. So going back to what you said, you know, that line, that line gets kind of blurred when you want to draw it because, you, you know, us as humans want the fucking next iPhone, whatever, you know, that's going to be fucking $2,000. You know, that's 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 how we are as consumers and as humans, we always want the next biggest and best thing. Um, and I don't know if that be something we can look past in, in the sake of our own, you know, well-being. you know, I think as humans, we're just going to constantly want that to our own demise, unfortunately. Well, and again, this is, this is where as a whole, as humanity, as a company, you know, these, these people coming up with the 5g systems that can penetrate our, our molecular structure there needs to be safeguards there needs to be there needs to be things taken in tow and in step to make sure that we still have uh, a humanity uh, again you, you make the machine work for you you don't work for the machine that that makes no sense that's but that's where we're pushing ourselves because you're right as a, as a race we are greedy greedy sons of bitches yeah and, um, you know, talking about AI again, UberX, I don't know, have you ever taken an Uber before, Jay? I have not. I have not. I have a brother who works for Uber, and uh, that automatically makes me question the kind of people they have driving. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just That's kidding. hilarious. Uh, but, you know, Uber is a pretty cool service. You know, it, 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 uh, it's the taxi by, by cell phone, basically. It's a taxi by app. And, um, they're, yeah, it's going to replace the taxi. It is. It, it pretty much has in a lot of cities. You know, I, I was in Chicago, um, literally last week and I could see the amount of taxis just parked over to the side, like just waiting for someone. And there's nobody getting taxis because everybody has an Uber, you know, they'll just come out and here comes a car pulls up right there, picks them up and boom, they're gone. 
and and you would never know. And so I, it's kind of sad to see all these taxi drivers there on the side, you know, just um, you know waiting, you know, to do something that they just can't. They can't even pick up a, a fare. So you know, AI is is kind of uh, getting into that as well because uh, there's apps now where they're learning you know, different places um, in, you know, different parts of the United States and also the world where, you know, there's a limited amount of traffic um, and, and, you know, scarcity of cars. So like, for instance, if, you know, there's maybe an area um, in some particular city in the United States, they'll, you know, purposely will try to get some like car, uh, driverless Uber cars in that area. So little by little AI is improving some, you know, things, obviously I I don't want to sit here all gloom and doomy, there are some things that it does help with, you know, the CRISPR thing obviously is one that we always resort back to, but of course it could be used for greediness. Um, and you know, like you said, then you will have, you know, a, a race full of six foot 10, 295 uh, pound human beings running around the world, uh, which that'll be kind of scary because I don't want it's to gonna be that. a world full of, it's going to be a world full of JJ Watt. Yeah. That's crazy. And we don't, we don't need that. We need, you that's know, scary. we need variety. Yeah. We need variety. So yeah, yeah listen, I, uh, being short is what's made me who I am. And you know, if, if I had the option to be tall, I would have taken it, and I would have missed out on a lot of great pieces of of. And that's what we need to look at as as humanity. As you talk about these, you know, it, it started off innocently enough with access cards. So people didn't lose those access cards and these biodegradable things going underneath the skin to, to allow these people one last thing. I ask you, Will, if you had to to get have an access key imprinted in your in your body, would you do it? Nope. Yeah, me either. Yeah, I can't do it. Sorry. As much as you're going to sit there and tell me that it's not going to be invading my privacy, I just, as a moral, conscious person, I cannot but a piece of technology in my body like that. Now, for instance, if I lose an arm and the technology is like, I can get one of those fucking cyborg arms, like in fucking star Wars. I'm all in it. <laughs> I'm in it. I am going to have myself a fucking robot arm. That's just going to be dope. Right. But yeah. a, f- a fucking it, microchip that, in me. That'd be no. pretty badass. Fuck. Yeah. We'd be like, fuck, check out my robot arm. Motherfucker. Check this out. You want a fucking arm wrestle? Let's do it. Yeah. No, that's going to be, you know, that I could see. But, you know, implanting a chip into your body just for the ease of use to, you know, getting inside access to a building and, and being able to use that as well as, you know, to as far as like your food plan at, at the building. I was reading that about that article about that company. I think it was in Wisconsin where, you know, they were doing that as a voluntary thing for their employees. You read about that, right? Yeah, you're breaking up. Listen, this is the AI, man. Look. This is the AI getting in the way. It's breaking up the conversation because it doesn't want us <laughs> doesn't want us slowing them down. It. Yeah, they're listening to us right now. Yeah, no, but I was saying that there was this company out in Wisconsin that um, is microchipping their employees, you know, voluntarily. Did you see that? Right. Again, where is it going to end? It you know? breaks. It breaks this bond. It just breaks the bond of humanity. It's one thing if it's a necessity. Okay, if they if if they can use a microchip to eradicate cancer, they can use robotics to replace veterans of loss uh, while protecting our freedoms, then yeah, hell yeah. Those are, those are great. 
because those are going to improve life, not enslave it. And that's what I'm about. Something so stupid, something so, so silly as I'm going to have this so I don't have to take out my wallet. Oh, come on. Yeah, it's laziness at, at, at its, you know, other top, at its peak. top level. At its peak, you're right. And the line that I loved the most was the CEO of the company at the end, what he says, he goes, he says this, I quote, he goes, this microchip will not have any GPS capabilities. I mean, okay, I wasn't thinking about that, but thank you for telling me that. So are you telling me that <laughs> because that really does have GPS capabilities? What's the deal? It kind of, you know, that kind of reminds me, there's a a comedian I used to listen to a lot when I was a kid. And now I can't, I can't think of his name, but he was telling a story about trying to coach little league baseball, right? Uh-huh. Throw the ball at the kids and they get all afraid of it. And he said, he said to his son, you know, it's not like it's going to bite you. And his kid looked at him and with a face that is almost like, Jesus, it's got teeth. <laughs> like that's that same thing. Yeah. I didn't think about it. Having, not having GPS. Why would you bring that up? Yeah. Exactly. I wasn't even thinking about that, but you brought it up. Sounds kind of suspicious, don't you think? Oh, of course. It's the guilty conscience. The guilty conscience. No, no, no. We're not over here developing nuclear weapons. No. A Freudian slip. Nothing's happening over here. (laughs) A Freudian slip. Exactly. Look at my hand over here, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you don't see the hand... You don't see the hand behind the hat that has the rabbit in it, do you? Yeah, or the, no, one, you that, don't. the one that has the uh, hatchet in its hand ready to fucking lop your head off when you're looking the other way. But listen, man, this is uh, we'll, we're going to wrap it up here for the AI conversation. Ugh. Yeah, this is uh, it. now I'm going to fucking have dreams of fucking robots coming after me and bullshit like that. But, um, you know, listen, I don't know how you're going to be able to fucking sleep. I'm going to have my iPhone right behind my head on my headboard and I'm going to keep an eye on that thing all damn night. I'm going to turn my shit off, man. (laughs) But listen, thanks for uh, (laughs) thanks for jumping on the uh, podcast again. And uh, we're going to have a couple guests come on the show here um, in the next couple weeks. So I'm going to I'm going to keep you up to date on that, Jay, and everybody else. So you're bringing in the enemy now. Got to bring in the enemy to find out what the plans are. So that way, when we flip it on them, someone developing developing apps utilizing software for the enslavement of humans that's right Come i, I got to be the mole for the humans man <laughs> i got to go in for the humans and learn the knowledge and then bring it back yeah i mean somebody's got to do it might as well be you because damn sure ain't gonna be me yeah i'm far too stupid for that nonsense i'll do it i'll do it fuck it but uh listen thanks again for jumping <laughs> on tonight uh that's dark fringe radio and again uh, you can catch us on darkfringeradio.wordpress.com on Twitter at Dark Fringe Radio, the same on SoundCloud. Uh, please uh, go to our social media, uh, give a like, and uh, please subscribe to our SoundCloud. We're trying to get those numbers up, so uh, please go ahead and do that, and uh, I would certainly appreciate it. Again, Jay, thanks so much for jumping on tonight. Uh, my pleasure, my pleasure, every time.